Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, the DOGS. And we're here every uh, Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. And before we go into our, our material for today, I'd like very much to thank all of those who contributed to the Radiothon last week. And in particular, I'd like to thank Colin, who rang up afterwards uh, with $100 Uh, Thank you, Colin, and there will be three books in the mail to you today if you're still living at the address that you were years ago when you were a member for the Dogs. And um, it was wonderful to have a blast from the past uh, here on, uh, on 3CR. Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info and here is the press release 660 for this week. Worried about privatisation of Medicare by a thousand cuts? The Lib Labs have been privatising public education by stealth for 50 years. Privatisation of Medicare by the Liberal government has become part of the Labor Party campaign in our federal election. But nobody dares to talk about the ongoing privatisation of public education, particularly in Victoria. Why? This might open up the real funding problem, state aid, pouring with no strings attached into private schools and duplicating and undermining uh, our cash-strapped public schools facilities. Only countries that no longer value their sovereignty, their citizenry and their independence from marauding multinational companies financial pirates that plunder resources and avoid tax fall into this privatisation gap trap. Our state aid to private school problems commenced in the 1960s, as we all know, when the Labor Party gave in to the threats of the Catholic sector. The Catholic sector literally threatened the Labor Party and the politicians through the DLP, you might remember. These problems have more recently been exacerbated by the shift to globalisation that took off in the 1980s, thanks to Mr Hawke and Mr Keating, of course. Our leaders, our brave leaders, led us into a novel process, the consequences of which were unknown or highly questionable. Dogs predicted an outmoded misunderstanding of 18th century ideology would lead us back into 18th century inequalities, booms and busts, and so it has. 
We're now in a globalisation trap with governments seeking to privatise what little in public facilities remain after their big sell-off. And in spite of the realisation that public education is the only way forward for our next generation of Australian citizens, our public schools in Victoria are being forced into a privatisation business model and starved of funds. The department has long been taken over by private school and political interest groups. In recent times, there's been evidence of corruption, fraud and mismanagement of public funding in the actual department itself. The schools have been cut off from the centre, support resources have been cut and principals are given inadequate budgets and told to go and survive the way their private school counterparts have learnt to do. And so they have done. Victorian public school supporters were horrified and angered in the last week to discover that cash-strapped state schools are hiring out their teachers to private schools to raise desperately needed funds. Schools are finding increasingly creative ways of making extra money, with new figures revealing almost one in four state schools are currently in deficit. Now, listeners... This is an outrage. No state school should be in deficit. A government may have debts because public debt is not necessarily a bad thing at all, especially if the interest rates are right down as they now are. Public debt for public facilities, which will be paid off gradually by the next generation, is a fair enough idea. But no actual state school... No actual public school should be or could be in debt unless it is a private school. You expect a private school like Acacia College can go bankrupt, but not a state school. If a state school is in deficit, then the Minister for Education is responsible. This is just basic democratic principles. And yet we're being expected to... Just accept this possibility. Instead of the department providing sufficient funds for public school's expenses, we have principals contracting out their budget problems to private enterprise. And the only reason the current outrageous situation is serviced into public notice is because Philip Rainford who is the director of the Harlequin Group of Companies, which helps 100 Victorian state schools to manage their budgets, said that schools were leasing out underutilised teachers to make ends meet. Now, listeners, in the last week, we've had Mr Turnbull all sensitive because certain areas of Medicare are being outsourced. And here we have our state school principals being forced to outsource the idea of balancing their budget to private enterprise. The age has revealed that last last week that at the end of last year, 361 of Victoria's 1,528 government schools were in deficit. They couldn't and they shouldn't be in deficit. The people who are in deficit particularly morally, as Mr Molino and Mr Andrews. A growing number of principals have said that they've been forced to cut programs, hire cheaper teachers and limit the VCE subjects they offer due to inadequate funding. 
and this is the result of the decentralisation programs introduced in the 1980s uh, by Mark Kerner, Mrs Kerner and others when they romanced about decentralisation. A review into school funding by former Victorian Premier Steve Brax, which was commissioned by the state government and released in April, has recommended a revamp of funding to ensure that it covers school costs. Each Victorian public school student has received only 2,253 um, sorry, has received 2,253 less state and federal government funding than the national average in 2013-14, and this makes them the lowest funded in the country. Yet the first thing the Andrews Molino government did on election was to guarantee private schools 25% of public school costs. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's not just the, the CFA volunteers that find that Mr Andrews is on the nose at the moment. I think that public school supporters should be questioning, asking some very hard questions indeed about this situation. Now, many Victorian state schools have been quite creative in getting funds into the schools. They've turned to crowdfunding to make ends meet. And others have supplemented their government funding with income from international students. So... This means that the idea of paying fees has come into the state system, which undermines the very essential concept of freedom, free education. Secular and free, this is what we inherited from our 19th century forebears and this is what is being undermined. Uh, Schools are also striking up relationship with sponsors particularly local estate agents, you might notice, who might display banners at fates or pay for sports uniforms. And many schools have arrangements with these sponsors and they'll thank them at every school assembly, introducing our public school children into the consumer society. According to the AEU state of our school survey last year, this is the Australian Education Union's um, survey, Listen to this, an average of 12.3% of state school budgets come from parent fundraising. This means that uh, they are in fact getting very close in their public-private funding to private schools. They are being forced to raise funds and most Catholic schools in fact are getting 90% of their funding from public sources. So state schools are in fact getting less percentage of their public funding from public sources than a lot of Catholic schools and parents at state schools are being and principals are being forced to raise more money to keep their public school going than the local Catholic school. What an interesting and extraordinary situation. Now, some of our state schools, like Thornbury High, for example, have resorted to crowdfunding to provide for the basics of supporting their children in need, particularly their Indigenous children. And the principal, Mr Edgeberg, said, I think it's a bit sad, but that's what we've had to resort to. Now, dogs think that this situation is a bit more than sad. 
The dangers to Medicare of GP co-payments and outsourcing to private contractors of so many health services have long since taken place in Australian education, in public education too. Governments have long since outsourced the education of one-third of Australian children to private religious institutions, which, like the Catholic Church, are multinational organisations which are a law to themselves and which, by the way, don't pay taxes. And now our public schools themselves are being forced to outsource their very financial survival to private contractors. This situation is both outrageous and dangerous. Starving public schools of funds, testing, 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 again through outsourced contractors or even robots, using results to accuse our schools of failure and then handing them over hollis bolus to private multinational contractors, representatives of hedge funds in profits at public expense, is a pattern that's already evident in the United States and we must stop it here. Australian parents and public school supporters should think of the world to be inherited by our children. We should not follow our Lib Lab leaders down the privatisation road to perdition. So that is our press release 660 for this week, which will go up on our website at www.adogs.info. And while I am talking about what is happening in America, I would like you to refer you to a very, very sad situation in Pennsylvania. Uh, going over to America, uh, to Diane Ravitch's blog, which is always a good read, I've discovered on May the 18th, 2016, that Peter Green in Erie, in Pennsylvania, has considered closing all its high schools. It's terrible news from Pennsylvania, from Peter Green, Diana Ravitch tells us. Because of the highly inequitable funding formula for the state, because of the legislature's inability to pass a budget for almost a year, because of the burgeoning charter movement, school districts across the state are in dire condition. Erie is considering closing all its high schools and sending its students to other districts. And the decision um, was due to be made on May the 18th. The um, end result of this crisis could be the end of public education as the free market mania consumes everything in its path. Now, why is this happening? And this is a very familiar situation that we're looking at here, if you think about it with these principals in our high schools in Victoria. The district's looking at a 4.3 million gap, and like many districts in Pennsylvania, it has no possible response except to cut, including eliminating sports, extracurricular activities, art and music programs, district libraries and the district's police department, plus cutting various administrative positions out the wazoo. The Auditor-General has taken a look at the Erie finances and determined that the crappy state funding formula and the loss of money to charters are a huge part of the problem. The Auditor-General's actually been saying this a great deal all over the state because from Erie to Philadelphia, bad funding and a terrible charter law are gutting the school finance. And the charter schools are, in fact, 
schools which are publicly funded but privately administered. It's, of course, the same death spiral visible across the country. If Erie does hang in there, how well can the public schools compete with the charters if the public schools must cut all sorts of services? This is one of the most baloney-stuffed parts of the free market competition mantra. Competition will spur Erie schools to become greater and more competitive by stripping them of the resources they need just to function. And is that how it's supposed to work? You see, listeners, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. No, this in Pennsylvania is how the charters, which are publicly funded, privately run schools, have eaten public schools from the inside out, like free market tapeworms. The more they eat, the weaker public schools become, and the weaker public schools become, the more charters can attack them and eat more. In Australia, we see not so much the charter schools, but the religious schools doing this to our public system. Particularly in the long term, closing down the high schools, as we did in Victoria in the 1990s under Kennett, and farming out the students qualifies as a viable Solution. It also qualifies as a breakdown of the public education system. And if the schools shut down, a process that would take over a year, what happens to the students? While there would be public and charter that read private schools, that could maybe take those students, there's no guarantee there'd be enough capacity to absorb the students. And more importantly, none of those schools would have an obligation to absorb the students because private schools are not there to educate all the students. They are there to indoctrinate some of the children and to get in the public money to do so. It's private profiteering at public expense. Now, whether the student's expensive to teach or a behaviour problem or can't get transportation or the receiving schools are just out of desks and don't want to hurt their own programs through overcrowding, there'll be students that nobody will take responsibility for. Now, at the moment in Australia, our public school system is taking responsibility for the majority of students. It's still doing this in spite of everything that has been done by the religious people to undermine our public system. We are still in there doing a great job. And I'm going to ask, after a bit of music, I'm going to ask Penny, who's with us today, to tell you about the um, school here in Victoria that has been turned around um, and is doing very well indeed because of dedicated teachers and a very interesting pupil, uh, sorry, principal. But at the end of the day, the principal, in spite of the ABC program and Revolution School and all the rest of it, at the end of the day, this principal says, you can't do it without the resources. You can't do it without the public money. And why should he be deprived of any of our public money? Because we are the taxpayers and why should the people that we put into Spring Street be denying him everything that he needs? But we'll have a bit of music now and uh, we'll be back shortly to hear about Cambria College from Penny.
Well, those trumpets from Verdi's Aida are a fitting entry of the principal from Canberra College. Those of you who have been watching Revolution School on the ABC would have met Mr Muscat, but um, you haven't heard from him on the ABC the full story. And um, there's a very interesting uh, article which we're going to share with you. And Penny, who's over from Hobart, is going to read it for you. I thought that was lovely, Jean, the triumphal entry of a triumphal principal of Mm. Cambria College. Um, Michael Muscat was faced with a huge question. He calls it the million-dollar question, and I think he means it quite literally. How do you turn around a school that is underperforming? There's no easy answer to this beyond saying that takes years of hard work and patience from the entire school leadership team, teaching and support staff of a school. It needs a shared vision and the approach taken to achieve this will vary from school to school according to their circumstances. But he'd like to he shared with us on the ABC last last week some lessons that his school has learnt on this topic which can be summarised in one sentence. And this makes it the million dollar question investment gets results. I'm fortunate he's fortunate to be the principal of a school that has turned things around for its students. You may have seen our story in the ABC's documentary series Revolution School which I think gives you a number of great insights into the complex and intense work being done by our dedicated staff every day. Our teachers are the key to improving student achievement in a school, but giving them the conditions and the support they need takes time and money, especially in schools with a significant number of disadvantaged students. Needs-based funding is an essential ingredient in lifting student achievement and building success. Well, later on, I'd love to talk to Jean about that a little more because there's some tricks in needs-based funding. But if we if we follow this school, which has been well used by the Catholic Education Office, (laughs) if we follow this school, which used its funding, I think as much as anything to give teachers the time, the space, the security to develop their teaching. They didn't go off to a single marketing course that I could see. If we don't acknowledge that some schools will need more resources than others, then we won't get the improvements that we want. Cambria College lies in the sprawling growth corridor to the southeast of Melbourne, surrounded by the homes of hundreds of young Australian families. It's a diverse school community with a high number of students from a low SES background. About 10% of our parent community hold higher education qualifications. Most parents work long hours, have a sizable mortgage and are enormously committed to providing the best for their children. And the best for their children is the best for us. Because please don't forget who's going to pay for a failed child. It's not the accountant of the day. It's all of us for decades into the future. But these these parents are amazingly good-spirited people who aspire to their piece of the Australian dream and have fully supported what the school is doing. 
In 2008, our median study score put us in the lowest 10% of schools in Victoria. And when you hit the bottom, there's only one way to go. But first we had to rebuild our school from the inside out and put in place the preconditions for improvement. And this is where extra funding was a godsend. In commencing this massive task, we were fortunate to be part of the then Federal Government's National Partnerships Programme. This program was a precursor to needs-based Donsky funding and gave extra resources to low-performing schools. The National Partnership funding was a godsend and it kick-started our improvement. We were able to engage a leadership coach who worked with each head of department, leading teacher and member of the principal team to help sharpen their focus on achieving student learning goals We now have an extremely cohesive leadership team and our leadership coach, Pamela Macklin, has played an invaluable role over the past seven years in building the capacity of our senior staff. And that's what teachers should be doing. They shouldn't be going out there marketing or being sent out to teach in other schools which have got more money. National Partnerships funding was also used to employ additional leading teachers with expertise in the areas of literacy and numeracy. Once we had these experts in place, they were able to lift results across the school. They could develop resource rooms for their respective areas and coach selected teachers to further improve their teaching and develop new teaching strategies for different groups of students. Collaborative teaching teams were established and have proved to be a powerful way to share ideas and resources as well as build consistency to improve student learning. It is not enough to be just a good teacher. You need to be a good colleague and lift the teachers around you. All these measures were urgently needed because we have a significant number of students entering our college below the expected levels of literacy and numeracy. Without new approaches and programs, together with a climate of high expectations, students would fall further behind. And our funding drives improved results. The National Partnerships produced rich rewards for Cambria College. Our NAPLAN data now shows that the college is actively improving student performance in literacy and numeracy at a rate higher than the national average. VCE data has continued to improve and over the past four years our results places among the top 25 to 30% of state schools. Our pass rate for senior VCAL sits at very close to 100%. Over the past 18 months, Canberra College has been fortunate to be part of the University of Melbourne network of schools. It's been brilliant to have access to outstanding academics like Professor John Hattie, Lee Waters and Steve Ding. Through our participation in this network, we introduced independent reading in all years 7 to 9 classes. She's involved setting up mini-libraries in each classroom and provides regular reading time in English classes. Feedback from students, parents and staff has also improved profoundly over the past three years. Our college has improved the life chances of our students by ensuring that they leave school with a meaningful qualification and enabling them to maximise their potential. 
To me, this is the central goal of any school, to give students the opportunity to reach their potential and become fully engaged participants in our society. National Partnerships was a program that delivered real benefits, but only to the small number of schools that participated. And that's why this headmaster was excited by the idea of Gonski funding, because it would spread the benefits more broadly, while ensuring that schools with the greatest need got the biggest increases. Sadly, Victorian schools have not received Gonski funding until this year, thanks to the previous government refusing to pass the money on to schools. Our students have missed out on the programs which have benefited their counterparts in New South Wales, Queensland and South Australia. Gonski can deliver results. There is now a serious debate between the major political parties about whether we continue Gonski funding after 2017 or abandon the last two years when two-thirds of extra funding is scheduled to be delivered. He believes it will be terribly short-sighted to cut needs-based Gonski funding. Schools in Victoria will only get a brief taste of what increased funding can deliver and students will miss out. If our Gonski funding continues right through to 2019, we have big plans to improve and offer more to our students. We want to hire expert teachers to coach mathematics and English teachers to effectively implement the clinical approach to teaching as developed by the University of Melbourne Graduate School of Education, which involves using data to know the point of need for each individual student and a using a range of measures that allow teachers to know their impact. We want to extend independent reading at years 7 to 10 and provide all teachers with training in conducting challenging individual reading conferences with each student in their classes. To extend our accelerated learning program for underachieving students in 7 and 8. We've had great success with this program which aims to achieve three years of their average learning growth at primary school in one year but it requires intensive assistance for teachers from speech therapists and occupational therapists. Introduce the Girls' Darabi program for students who are showing signs of being disengaged and dropping out of school. This would replicate the very successful boys' program already in place. And on the program that we saw last week, there was a graduate of the Boys' Darabi program who became school captain to his own and everybody's pride. If we don't support these kids when they need help, they'll struggle right through school and not be equipped to break the cycle of disadvantage. Our experience at Cambria College is a shining example of how extra resources can drive better outcomes for students. There is no better investment we can make for Australia's future than providing every student with a high-quality education. It is the best way to give all our young people a rich and fulfilling life. It would be a great pity if we allowed the long-held principle of equality of opportunity to be further eroded by cutting Godsky funding. Well, thank you very much, Penny. Um, You can see how even a little bit of money trickling through to public schools with our dedicated teachers and people who really care about children, uh, all children, 
including the ones that have fallen off the radar. And that's what public school teachers do. They are the ones who deal with these children, and some of them do it brilliantly. Just a little bit of money, it helps. But of course, our public system needs a lot of money, and it doesn't need privatising. And perhaps it is time that our leaders got short, sharp messages uh, to, to this effect from the voters. Because over in the United States, they understand that the bulldozing of public schools in order to make room for the free market presumes that the free market has got the chops to absorb what the public system turns loose. What if we burn down the public school to make room for a shiny charter or private school and all we end up with is a vacant lot? Because the biggest danger in America for um, the people who are espousing the free market at all costs, and make no mistake listeners, Mr Turnbull is in this class, as was Mr Abbott, as is Mr Birmingham, as at the end of the day is the Labor Party after the Keating experiment. The biggest danger of a botched conversion to privatisation in public education or in education is is that we'd end up with a bad private school system and that a city could end up with no system at all. And we are dealing here with the next generation of our children. But unfortunately, our leaders are a little bit like uh, the leader that is um, referred to in our next song. very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal and mineral. I know the kings of England and I've quote the fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order catatonical. I'm very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem I am teeming with a lot of news. Lot of news, lot of news. Uh-huh. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. With many cheerful facts about the square of the I'm very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and immaculus. And short and matters, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I am the very model of a modern major general. I know I'm mythic history, King Arthur, and Sir Caradox. I answer hard acrostics like a picket taste for paradox. I quote an elegiacs of the crimes of Heliogabalus. And conics like a dolphin can be added to the rabbitness. I can tell undoubted Raphael's and Jeddah dozens of these. I know the cooking chorus from the frogs of Aristophanes, and I can hum a fugue which I've heard the music's dinner for. Dinner for, dinner for, dinner for, yes. And whistle all the airs in that infernal nonsense, pinafore. And whistle all the airs in that infernal nonsense, pinafore. And whistle all the airs in that infernal nonsense, pinafore. And whistle all the airs in that infernal nonsense, pinafore. Then I can write a washing bill in Babylonic uniform and tell you every detail of Caractacus's uniform. In short, and matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. In fact, when I know what is meant by mammalin and revelin, when I can tell at sight a mouser rifle from a javelin, 
When such affairs of sorties and surprises I'm all wary at, and when I know precisely what is meant by commissariat, when I have learned what progress has been made in modern gunnery, when I know more of tactics than a novice in a nunnery, in short, when I've a smattering of elemental strategy, You say a better major general has never sat a jeez. For my military knowledge, though I'm plucky and adventurous, has only been brought down to the beginning of the century. For still in matters vegetable, animal and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. <laughs> Well, there you have Arthur Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. Um, I am the very model of a modern major general. And uh, the words, of course, were by William Schwenk Gilbert. And it was Dennis Olsen, the baritone, and the Corinthian singers, and the festival chorale, and the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra with James Christensen, conductor. There you are. That was quite a mouthful, wasn't it? But I thought you might enjoy that because I think that it's very important that we um, treat a lot of our so-called leaders who are trying to lead us into the brave new world of privatisation of everything that might make money um, with a grain of salt. Now, Next week, we are going to be interviewing a very interesting gentleman called Brian Morris, we hope. But um, he has been writing uh, from Adelaide uh, on the Independent Australian Media Network. And uh, his latest uh, article is entitled Public Schools, Politics and a Religious Divide. And then underneath is a very interesting picture. Imagine no religion. And you've got a minister who's shouting uh, with a cross on it and you've got a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist with a cross on it and you've got the uh, Klux Klan, I think, the Ku Klux Klan with a cross on it and a few other. Oh, yes, you've got people being burnt at the stake in the Reformation period with a cross on it. And I'm not sure what the other one is. I'm not sure whether it's somebody who's being burnt or it's somebody being on the stake or whether it's a minister in a in a box. It's, a, it's an uncertain... But anyway, it's, it's a good picture. Uh, I thought it was rather interesting. Now, Brian Morris is very concerned that Australia is creating a new socio-religious divide inadvertently or perhaps intentionally, based squarely on education. Well, the dogs have been saying this for 50 years. And it's reflected in the growing imbalance between an increasingly secular public and what can be described as an endemic piety that percolates through parliaments, bureaucracy and the judiciary. Uh, It is very interesting, and the dogs always said that when religion takes the taxpayers' money, it's bad for religion. And the last 50 years has been bad for religion in Australia. Uh, there's more and more people who are rejecting it. And um, this is sad for those people, of course, who have genuine religious beliefs. 
But um, Christ could have told you, of course, that you give unto Caesar that which is Caesar and to God that which is God's. But after more than a century, the education system has regressed from a uniform and nationally accepted principle of being free, compulsory and secular to a divisive two-tier system. And while public schools labour under funding cuts and burgeoning private system has flourished with generous government grants. And with high fees that exclude many bright students, private religious schools have become elite enclaves for the affluent. They cocoon a privileged demographic that creates an economic, cultural and Christian divide. And it defies the original egalitarian principles of education that were already in place at the time of Federation. Now he goes on uh, to talk about what's happening in Australia and says that it's unconstitutional. Well, the dogs could have told you that too, but the trouble is, of course, that the judiciary, with the exception of Justice Lionel Murphy, uh, didn't think so. But um, that, of course, is another story. Let's have a listen to Brian Morris, who believes that a lot of our present revenue problems, because we do have a revenue problem, would be solved in Australia if we taxed the churches. He believes that we'd get at least $30 billion into the kitty and wouldn't that be wonderful for public education? We could have an ace public health system and an ace uh, public transport system and an ace public education system if the churches paid their taxes and if we stopped not only giving them exemptions but stop giving them the direct grants for their uh, particular enterprises. And, of course, uh, the dogs uh, are most interested in their educational enterprises. But let's have a listen to Brian Morris talking to Wendy Harbour from the ABC. And hopefully he'll be talking to us on 3CR next week. Should churches pay tax in Australia? My guest to talk about it is Brian Morris. He's director of Plain Reason. That's a group which, uh, quote, promotes rational discussion and critical thinking in all matters of public interest. He's also the author of A Sacred to Secular, Why a Corrupt Christianity Requires a Secular Solution. And he joins me now. Hello there, Brian. Yeah, hello, Wendy. Good to be with you. Now, this article that I, I read that you um, wrote for the Daily Telegraph just recently, you said this it should be played out in the federal budget as well and that 64% of Australians think that religious institutions should be taxed. If that many of us think so, what's, why, isn't, why isn't it happening, Brian? Well, there's a number of reasons, Wendy. A poll that the Rationalist Society did just a few months ago uh, was 64%. The federal government was in turmoil, wasn't it? What we're going to do with the budget. First, the GST was on and capital gains, negative gearing, they all got swept off. No thought was given at all to the revenue side. Really, the elephant in the room in all of this is religion. It really is a mega billion dollar uh, entrepreneurial colossus. Mm. And you say that there's no transparency either. Well, there isn't. We have 60,000 charities in Australia, only 40% of which are uh, religious, and 60% are secular charities. And it's the Australian Charities and Non-Profit Commission that regulates these. But because religion, going back to an old statute dating back to Elizabeth I in 1601, based on the fact that religions were, in fact, just advancing religion, 
they paid no tax at all and they don't have to deliver any uh, reports now to the Charities Commission. And so uh, it's really a complete mystery in terms of what they do, officially what they do collect. But we now know from research that's been done just a few years ago that uh, they probably avoid paying tax to the tune of about... uh, $31 $31 billion a year. Wow, that would have a huge impact on the budget, wouldn't it? Well, it certainly would. It certainly would. And uh, you ask really why that doesn't happen. And uh, I guess a couple of things is that federal parliaments historically have been afraid of a church backlash that may occur. And, of course, we do have a federal parliament that is really very heavily Christianized. But, look, I think the, the weight of the argument is starting, to, uh, is starting to tell, Wendy. I mean, latest polling shows that the Australian public is more than 50% secular. We are now overwhelmingly religion neutral. We ran a poll some months ago that showed that 78% of Australians want the church and state separated. So we want religion out of politics at all levels. And uh, I guess not too far down the track, one government is going to finally be brave enough to say, mm-hmm. well, look, this $31 billion a year that, uh, that religions avoid in terms of taxation, they should start really paying their way. It's a bit like the mm-hmm. Panama Papers. Treasurer Scott Morrison is now keen, hopefully, to start taxing the big corporations more and closing the loopholes. It's about time we close the religious loophole. Uh-huh. Okay, well, we have some callers here. Peter from Mount Druitt is with us, and I believe you're a church pastor, Peter. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so what's your thought here? Uh, Look, I can totally understand uh, why people think that it's appropriate that churches ought to pay tax. I I understand that. Um, Let me tell you, though, um, the opportunities that that affords myself and my wife. So we, we started a church... Six years ago, in a, a new housing estate in the kind of the roughest part of Mount Druitt, yep. and um, we raised all our own money from um, from uh, donors around about the place, all of whom are, I guess, are Christian people, um, and I guess not having to pay tax on some of that money, because of course there is some tax that we do pay, allows us to do things that we wouldn't be able to do. So it, it makes the little amount of money that we have go that little bit further mm-hmm. uh, in the community. That's right. Charitable works. Thanks for that, Peter. There's yeah. also a, a, a text here from Barbara who says almost all churches spend vast amounts on charitable works of all kinds. Paying taxes would negate that, says Barbara. Thank you for yeah. that. And um, we've got to almost leave it there, Brian, but the debate is going to continue on our Facebook page. Well, can I just make a final comment? Yes, indeed. Uh, People can go to our website, plainreason.info, to to get the full story on this. We're not talking about small charities. We're talking about... For instance, the uh, the Catholic Church, its uh, l- latest valuation is worth over $100 billion. And now, uh, what, uh, what tipped us off on this one, I guess, was this new $57 million Australasian HQ at Chatswood for the Scientologists, for instance. They don't pay any tax, and nor do Hillsong and all the other churches. We're not talking about the small churches that, that do some good in the community. We're talking about the, the mega churches that really avoid paying multi-millions in tax. And it's really got to stop at some stage. I think we've 
really gone over the line. We've got commercial organisations. I mean, Sanitarium is run by the Seventh-day Adventists. They turn over $600 million a year. I mean, it's incredible stuff, all of which they pay no tax on. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Brian. Where should people go again? Well, they should go to our website, www.plainreason, P-L-A-I-N, of course, plainreason.info, and uh, they can read the full story and uh, make up their own mind. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Well, you've been listening to Brian Morris talking to Wendy Harmer at the ABC, and uh, we'll be hearing more from him next week. And uh, we will also put his uh, article, which is a very interesting article historically too, on public education in Australia and what's happening and what could happen, uh, together with a reference to all his other things that he has written uh, on our website. For example, this gentleman has written articles on pious pollies paralyse popular policy and billionaires, banks, bureaucrats and the Bible and wealth abuse, taxation and religion and new poll on religion and the Australian Constitution and Islamism, 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 that's right, atheism and the Voldemort effect. That sounds very interesting. So this is all on the Australian Independent Media Network if you want to go to the uh, internet to look at it. And at the same time, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. But that's about it for this week. So it's bye for now from Penny and Dale and myself. Bye. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find your hill 
Says he. 